Well, that is exciting, and we are certainly excited about it. Pastor has been very inspired by what has happened to Brennan. Um, there's already been two instances of this same message coming to our church, and Brennan's experience really pushed Pastor into this direction and inspired the message that you'll be hearing shortly called, Can God Restore Me? Thank you, Brennan. Thank you, crowd, crowd. So if you will stand with me this morning, I want to preach to you for a little while. I've come to this conclusion on this message. It has been pounding in my chest since Sunday, last a week ago, when I heard Brennan, Brennan's testimony that God is going to restore. Excuse me, Brennan, but if I may say out of the mouth of babes, out of the mouth of a child, I've come to this conclusion. I want everybody to receive the maximum impact of this message. I have a strong desire, and I'm very passionate that that will happen for physical healing, spiritual healing, marital healing, Domestic healing. But I've come to this conclusion. Brother Phil, if it's only one, I'll preach it with everything I've got. But I'm going to ask you folks, it's not going to be a typical generic message. So I'd like for you to keep distraction to a minimum. I'm not going to be repetitive. And uh, it's going to be kind of an abstract message. And I've prayed hard that you'll get the impact. Because today can not only be a turning point in your life as a person, in your marriage, but it could be in our church if we will let God take us back to a place we once were and then make it better. My desire. Psalm 126. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter. Does anybody long for that? Our tongue was singing. Then the heathen said, the heathens, the sinners, the Gentiles, the Lord hath done great things to them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I want to tell Grace Church today, I know in my spirit 
that this time has come. It's here. It's not coming. It's here. It is of utmost importance that you get your head around what the Word of God is about to say to our church. Everybody say, thank God for the Word. I'm preaching, can God restore me? God bless you. You may be seated. In the book of Joel, and you'll need to listen very carefully, I'm going into a part of the scripture that's probably not as well known as others. But I'm going to fast forward from the Psalms to the book of Joel. Joel looks beyond the invasion of Babylon in 70 AD to the time when God would heal his land and restore his blessings to his people. Where some of this has happened to the Jewish people, the total fulfillment of it is something that Israel is still waiting for, as all of you know. But Joel, Haggai, Zechariah, these guys, they knew that God could drive the invading Babylonian army out of their land. They knew he could do that. As a matter of fact, on one occasion, very obscurely mentioned in Isaiah chapter 37, in one night, in one night, God slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers and the Assyrian king Sennacherib went home defeated. Some Bible scholars believe that this incident where in one night God destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers for the northern kingdom Israel. Most Bible scholars believe this is where Psalm 26 got its inspiration. For it describes, listen to pastor, Psalms 126 describes a sudden and surprising deliverance that literally startled Israel, whereas Judah's return, the southern kingdom, their return from Babylonian captivity was neither sudden nor, nor surprising. But notice the exaltation made in Psalm 126. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad, is echoed in Joel chapter 2, verse 21. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. So both Joel chapter 2 and Psalm 126 describes the restoration of the ravaged, ravaged land of Israel and the return of it to producing harvest. This fulfilled what Isaiah promised to King Hezekiah in Isaiah chapter 37. So without the Jews knew, without the former rain that occurred in March and April of the year, and the latter rain which occurred in October and November of a year, the land could not produce its crops. And as I preached to you last Sunday, one way God had of disciplining His people was to shut off the rain and to cause a time of drought. But God promised the former rain 
and he promised the latter rain and that it would give them such bumper crops that the harvest would more than compensate for all that the people lost during the locust plague and the drought. God said, I will repay you for all the years that the locusts have eaten. It's a word of promise to everyone who will return to the Lord with a sincere and repentant heart. Charles Spurgeon said, and it's noteworthy, quote, You cannot have back your time, but there is a strange and wonderful way in which God can give back to you the wasted blessings, the unripened fruits of years over which you mourned. It is a pity that they should have been locusts eaten by your folly and negligence, but if they have been so, be not hopeless concerning them. End quote. Why will God do this for His people? Why would God do this for His people? The reason is given in Psalm 126, so that they will praise His name and never be ashamed before the heathen again. Grace Church, as never before, our families, our children, our homes, and our churches needs healing, and they need restoration. And everybody say amen. I'm not being judgmental, but I am convinced and persuaded and have been so for years that there is a dimension, there's a level, there's an arena somewhere of spirituality that none of us have been to. And I am persuaded here today that God is setting on go and He is ready to restore every church in our area, every family, every home, back to its best place and then even better than that. Praise the Lord. Do y'all believe that? Do y'all believe that? We can claim God's promise, and here's why. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse, verse 14, If my people who were called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We can claim this promise from God today because we are His people. We can claim this promise today because we are His people. Praise the Lord. Everybody say amen. Let's take a brief look at Psalm 126. This psalm is not of David. It's not a psalm of David. As a matter of fact, it has no title in the Hebrew or any of the other versions of Old Testament Scripture. And it certainly belongs to the closing of the captivity at the end of the Old Testament. So commentaries believe that it might have been composed by Haggai or Zechariah or even Ezra. It begins by saying, when the Lord turned again the captivity, when King Cyrus of Persia published his decree 
in favor of the Jews, giving them liberty to return to their own land and to rebuild their temple and their city. They said, we were like them that dream. I just can't believe this is happening. Not in my lifetime. Not in my era of time. Not in my family. Not in my church. And certainly not in our nation. We were like them that dream. In other words, the news was so unexpected that they doubted for a time the truth of it. They believed it was too good to be true, as some of you may think today, and thought themselves even having their own dream or in some kind of an illusion. Their mouth was filled with laughter. I'll talk about that in a moment. But then they said among the heathen, the heathen are talking among themselves. The liberty now granted was brought about in such an extraordinary way that the pagans and heathens saw it, that the hand of the great God Yahweh of Israel is the only one that could have brought back, brought them back to their place of country and residence. God was the only one that could restore them. I'm preaching against a huge wall of doubt and unbelief and skepticism right now. And I feel it coming back to me from where you're sitting. But I come against it right now in the name of Jesus. God can restore you. He can restore your family. He can restore your home. He can restore our church back to its best place it's ever been and even better than that. And I have faith. I have faith. I have faith that God is going to bring his word to pass. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. The Lord, they said, hath done great things for us. They acknowledged the hand of their God. Literally, God alone has given them this enlargement, and then they said, we are glad. This is a mere burst of ecstatic joy. Oh, how happy are we because of what God has done. And I pray, I continue to pray that God will, be, will begin healing and restoring our families and our churches. The devil has wreaked havoc, some of it because of our own folly and our own bad decision making. Other reasons can be blamed as well. But I know a God that can exceed every circumstance, every problem, every attitude, every mindset. God knows what he's doing. And when God wants to bring about a restoration in an area, God can do it. And I don't care if you believe it or not or if anybody believes it or not. It's the word of God. And I'm going to proclaim the word of God because with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. It's going to happen to somebody. I prophesy that in the name of Jesus. It's going to happen to somebody. And they're going to be a testimony that God did this. God restored me. God restored my family. God restored my marriage. God restored my kids. It's going to happen to somebody, and it's going to happen in the near future. I prophesied in the name of Jesus. But then the psalmist said, Psalm 126, verse 4, Turn again our captivity. Well, once you've been released, how can you be released again? I'm glad you asked. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Literally, turn our captivity is what's in the original. 
the word again is inserted by the translators and conveys an idea which is not necessarily in the original. It is simply a prayer that God would turn their captivity. That is, looking on their captivity as not completely ended or as in one sense still continuing that it might please Him wholly or completely turn it or end it. This is a saying that there is still a part of the people who this promise has been made to. But for some reason, they are still in bondage. So while a considerable part of the nation had been restored, and while an order had been issued for the restoration of all the Jewish captives back to their native land, it was still true that a portion of them remained in exile. And the prayer is that God would intervene. That God would intervene on their behalf and complete the work. I am here to submit to you today. I'm not going to rejoice over a backslider here and there and say God has delivered us when they come back to God. I'm not going to rejoice over an unchurched person coming in two or three at a time. I'm not going to be happy and neither will God be happy until they're all restored. And I'm here today to issue my own edict to every backslider in this area. It is the will of God that you be restored. It is the will of God that you come back to Him. It is the will of God that you be as fervent as you ever were and even more. You may not have gotten the news but God has offered you deliverance. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. He used an illustration that a lot of us may not understand. And I'll show you pictorial illustration in a few minutes. But he said, as the streams in the south, in the southern parts of Palestine, I've been there, that is, as those streams which dried up by the summer heat or swell by the rains in autumn and winter. The psalmist is saying, so let the streams of the returning people, which seem now to be diminished, be swelled by augmenting numbers, coming again to their own land. Let the companies of the returning immigrants be kept full like swollen streams until all shall be brought back. I preached to you several Sundays ago about does God still love backsliders. I'm going to preach that message again this year, Lord willing. You ain't heard the end of that one. I'm going to preach it again. But there are still backsliders in this area that we don't like. We don't like those people. But the psalmist is saying, even to his fellow countrymen, whom they've had disputes and disagreements with, we want them to be a part of this stream of people coming back to God. They saw, these Jewish people saw the benefit of humbling themselves under the mighty hand of God. They have now a sweet return from their bitter tears and now they reap in joy. They are restored after a long and afflicting captivity to their own country to peace and to happiness. And then he said, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, 
The metaphor seems to be this. Listen very carefully. Some of us are there and have been there. A poor farmer has had a very bad harvest. A very scanty portion of grain has been gathered from the earth. The seed time has now come, and it's very uncompromising. Out of a famine of last year, only a precious little seed has been saved to be sown back into soil that is still stricken in famine. And he does it in hopes of a crop. But the badness of the present situation almost precludes the entertainment of any hope of the future whatsoever. But he must nonetheless sow. Or else there will be despair and hunger and his own family will perish if he don't sow seed. So he carries all of his precious seed with him in his seed basket and with a sorrowful and reluctant heart commits the seed to the furrow watering it in effect with his tears because it's the only water he can generate and earnestly imploring the blessing of God upon it and God hears the season according to the word of God is going to be a good one. And in the days and weeks ensuing, the farmer watches the seed succeed. Here comes the blade, then the ear, and then a full corn in the ear. The appointed weeks of harvest come, and the grain is very productive. He fills his arms with the sheaves of grain, and returns to his expecting family in triumph, praising God for the wonders he has performed. So shall it be with his handful of returning Israelites. They've been scattered all over the world, but the blessing of God shall be upon them. And their faith in numbers shall be abundantly increased. And the return here referred to by Isaiah describes it in very natural language. And they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all nations. Upon horses and in chariots and in litters. Upon mules and upon swift beasts to my holy mountain Jerusalem, saith the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. I can't help it, Brennan. I can't help it, man. When those words came out of your mouth last Sunday at lunch, there was a picture was painted in my head, and I can't get away from it, that God is going to do things that's going to make us feel like we're dreaming. <laughs> Notice, I skipped this verse, but I told you I'd come back to it. Their joy was inward and outward. The psalmist said, our mouths would fill with laughter. And our tongue filled with singing. Laughter is that external manifestation. But the tongue filled with singing represents what's on the inside. And there is a complete deliverance of the man and then a complete deliverance of the nation. A thankful tongue expresses the feelings of a thankful heart. And the Bible said, the psalmist said, they shall doubtless come again.
rejoicing. They shall come to the same sown field. You have said, sitting in my office, in my living room, or me sitting in yours, said, Brother Murphy, it's impossible for my family to ever be restored. Some of you have even said, I don't even give the church a whole lot of hope. There's so much trouble. There's so much division. There's so much separation. But I want to tell you folks here today by the word of the Lord that God can take an obstinate, rebellious, stiff-necked people called Jews and disperse them to the four corners of this planet for 2,000 years and bring them back to their homeland. What makes you think God can't do that for you? I've heard from the Lord. I've heard from God. Now, if you want to sit there and continue to doubt it and say, I ain't going to let it happen, I don't want certain of my family members back, well, then you can live as you please. But I prophesy today in the name of Jesus, there's family sitting here right now that's going to experience a restoration. I don't know who you are. I wish I did. But you're going to walk in here one Sunday arm in arm with some of your family members that you have think right now is virtually impossible because I know what God can do. And I'm speaking unto you the word of the Lord. Hallelujah! I may have to turn my mic off or if y'all can quiet me down a little bit. But when the Bible said their mouth was filled with singing and their tongue with laughter, I mean, good to see you, man. Glad you're here today. Absolutely. Good seeing you, man. Yes, sir. Um, Their tongue filled with singing and their mouth filled with laughter. It ain't a little, <laughs> my family's here today, Brother Murphy. That ain't what he's saying. It's this, <laughs> you ain't going to believe it, man. <laughs> my family's here today. Now, y'all sit there and look at me like you want to, but this is what I see. I believe there's, we're going to see people running and dancing and shouting and rejoicing. Because God has done what we think is impossible. And we are going to be like those that dream. It's a dream come true. And I just can't believe it. I got to hurry. I'm, I'm still the introduction of this message. I got to hurry. Brother Phil, if you don't mind, I'm going to go your direction again, man. I, I told Christy and I told Merrill that when, when Evan had his demise with the strike of lightning, I told them, surely, and they even believed it, that Phil's coming back. He's coming back. This is, this is going to do it right here. This is a clincher, and he did it. But nobody gave up. So he quit praying. I think he's a good man. And he has an automobile that needs to sit in my garage when he won't do that for some reason. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> what'd you say? That's why it's not sitting in my garage. <laughs> but you don't quit. And Sister Christie, over the past several weeks, 
She's so excited about it, she can't hardly contain herself. And I've watched her back there dumping. She's jumped and jigged more in the past three or four weeks, five weeks, than I've seen her in the past year. No inflection. It is what it is. But that's what I'm talking about. My daddy's back. <laughs> Woohoo! He's back serving God. Hallelujah! <laughs> My dad, that's what I'm talking. Come on, Pentecostals. Can somebody be happy for a moment? Can somebody be excited for a moment? It's a sovereign move of God. And if God can do that, he can do it with anybody else. How many times has Christy Murphy sown in that field? Somebody, a light needs to come on for somebody. Brother Phil, I hope I'm not. I, I, how many times have you prayed for the same people? Do you realize when God, when God released Israel, or Judah, in this case, to go back to Israel. That that place had been in a time of famine for years. It was a desolate land. And you'd think, my God, if God is going to deliver us from captivity, at least we can go somewhere where we can grow a crop. This is the field that we planted 70 years ago and got nothing. That's where he brought them back to. And you're not going to get a crop unless you take the seed that barely survived your last famine and plant it. I've been there, folks. You can see in Israel as you go south towards the Dead Sea, it is a barren wilderness. There ain't a thing there that grows but acacia trees. But where the Jews plow that land up and get the stones out of it, I've got pictures of it at home. It's almost a clear, definite line that you could strike a string down it. When they plant their banana trees and their date palm trees, they're one of the top three fruit exporters in the world out of a land that was desolate for 2,000 years. You're not hearing the miracle of this. I'm sorry you're not. Everybody says I'm listening, but I hope you are. But I've seen it. I've driven, we drove down the street. And there you could see where they plant banana trees. The next three feet over is a barren desert. And there are no irrigation systems there. They depend on the former rain of March and April and the latter rain of October and November to bring their crops. And they're the top three fruit exporters in the world. Out of a nation about the size of Massachusetts. If God can do that. So you go back to that dry, parched land. You go back to them old family members that's been backslidden for years. Tell them one more time. Tell them one more time. Just in the past several weeks, just in the past two or three weeks, different people from this church have come to me and said, Brother Murphy, I went and had dinner with a backslider. I went and had so-and-so with a backslider. Why? I don't know. I just feel like I ought to do this. And they're open. They're open. 
But we sit here thinking, God can't do it. Their conversion isn't entirely up to them. Now, God don't force and he don't coerce. But, buddy, he can sure use signs and wonders. Let me move on. I've got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. The Bible said they came with rejoicing. Tears will be turned to joy. The rich harvest will wave. The farmer will thrust in his sickle and reap. And he will gather the golden grain. And his wagon will groan under the burden. And the sheaves will be carried forth with songs of joy. And he will be abundantly rewarded for his toil. And he will see the fruit of his labors. And he will be filled with joy. We can detect in the word of Psalm 126 a sigh of relief. The release from captivity in Babylon was like a dream come true. The people knew about the promises of of the return to Israel. But when the actual moment came, and every one of us here are guilty of saying, God's going to, God's going to. Well, eventually that moment comes where he does. I know in my spirit that moment has come. It's here. All of us have known Unhappy, disgruntled Christians. Now this is where I'm going to start talking to you. Someone said one time that, and I quote, we think of the much maligned Puritans, that they have been wrongly labeled as stern, serious, and grim. People say they never crack a smile. I know some Pentecostals. One particularly sober-minded person was eulogized at his funerals as a saint who never committed a pleasure. Psalm 126 shows us how saints should look. Mouths filled with laughter and tongues filled with singing. Rejoicing is the theme of this psalm and joy characterizes the Christian journey. Some of you have seen, some of you have seen and won't admit that you have seen, but some of you have seen the Broadway musical Fiddler on the Roof It was one of my stepdad's favorite pieces of video combined with audio. Can't use a movie word, but he loved to watch it. But it describes life as one season following another, laden with happiness and tears. Life does include sadness, just as being a Christian doesn't mean we should always look serious all the time. It also means... Uh, It also doesn't mean, excuse me, that we're always running around smiling. Ecclesiastes 3 says there is a time to weep and a time to laugh and a time to mourn and a time to dance. Listen very carefully. Joy is not the absence of sorrow. It is the ability to have faith and to be thankful in the midst of all conditions and circumstances in our life. Everybody said amen. Joy is as unpredictable as the one who gives it. So much so that C.S. Lewis, the much quoted minister of yesterday, titled his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. Joy is the outcome or the byproduct of the Christian life. We don't generate joy in our life. God does. None of us have joy within ourselves. People seek to attain joy through entertainment, which offers temporary artificial joy. 
The vast entertainment industry of our nation is a sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. I asked somebody one time, how come you go out of town so much? They said, because we can't be happy at home. There's something wrong with that picture. Many Christians act like bored kings in need of a court jester. I'm not saying it's wrong to be entertained, but it's foolish to think that we find joy from entertainment. Joy is not a commodity, and it cannot be purchased. We don't need a distraction from our stressful lives. We need a cure. <coughs> and the only cure comes from a living relationship with Christ. Our need for joy is legitimate, but how we get that need met oftentimes isn't. I want you to notice the joy of, one, of Psalm 126 is past, present, and future. He said we were filled with laughter and songs of joy. And then in verse 3, he said, we are filled with joy. And then in verse 6, he said, we will return with songs of joy. It's past, present, and future. But this joy that's lavished on Israel, it gives that nation a reputation for the blessings of Christ on them. It was said among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. God allowed them to be taken captive to preserve their spiritual identity. He allowed them to be taken captive to preserve their spiritual identity. They were losing it in their homeland. They lost their identity at church. So God put them in captivity outside the church to preserve them. That went high and over and it hit the back wall. Maybe some of you got it. <clears throat> so this, So great was this act of restoration that the nations around them heard about it. God's deliverance and restoration makes unbelievers stand back and, and take notice. The, the, the psalmist deliberately says that it was the Lord who brought back the captives to Zion, not King Cyrus of Persia. In 538 B.C., he signed an edict releasing the Jews, allowing them to return to their homeland. In Proverbs, we're told, but it's the Lord that changes the heart of a king. God made that happen. God did it. I don't care what or who is on the throne in the lives of people. God knows how to change the kings. So humanly speaking, the Persian king allowed Israel to return, but it was all a part of God's plan. And the psalmist gives credit where credit is due, and the Gentile nations were impressed. They admitted that God had accomplished these things. It wasn't the Jews that did it. The people did it. They gave God credit. The heathen people gave God credit for doing it. They were impressed, man. God had done great things for Israel. What great things? The release from Babylon. The thing that no one on this planet ever thought could happen against that Persian military empire. There was so much more. And we discover these great things every time we read the Bible. Every divine act was a miraculous intervention. Eugene Peterson writes, quote, Joy has a history. Joy is the verified, repeated experience of those involved in what God is doing. God is nurtured by living in such a history, building on such a foundation, end quote. One reason for rejoicing is that we know God isn't going to change. His way of working with us isn't going to change. God's system isn't going to change. God will never stop loving us. Verse 4 of Psalm 126 asks God to restore the nation's fortunes. Some restoration has occurred, but a, a fuller measure is desired. An analogy is made. The psalmist asks, 
that the nation be restored like the streams in the south or the streams in Negev. The Negev is a desert land. Can you see the picture? You get the picture. It's a desert land, and it means dry. The waterways are bone dry most of the year. But notice what happens in the rainy season when God brings the rain. That's the same place from the same angle. Just in two or three rains, that's what happens to dry, parched land that people have sown in time after time after time. But when God brings the rain. I'm about to blow up, man. Thank you, Brennan. Thank you for nudging me, Pastor. The waterways fill with rain and the desert blooms with vegetation and flowers. Just as rain restores in the Negev, God restores us. He will bring rain to our drought-stricken lives. When the Jews returned to Israel from Babylon, they were allowed to renew the patterns of their former way of life, which included rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem and reconstructing a wall of defense around the city. We're giving comforting assurance in verse 5 that those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. To sow tears is a reference to death. It was common way. It was a common way of referring to burial. Even Jesus used the imagery when he described death as a seed buried in the ground, a parched, dry ground. And it gets under the soil and it dies. No hope, so one would think. But that seed, something happens underground that we can't see. And new life begins to sprout out of it. The grave is not the final word. The past isn't the final word. Your transgression isn't the final word. Your bad decision making isn't the, the, the final word. Things that have happened to us that have left us scarred and bruised isn't the final word. Because we can rejoice even in the face of death. Because we have hope for restoration and the promise of eternal life. Sorrow may be sowing, but rejoicing will be our reaping. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The release from Babylon was like being raised from death to life. And Psalm 126 assures us that though we weep, we will rejoice. In Gethsemane, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus sowed tears for a world lost in sin. But in another garden, he destroyed the power of sin by conquering death, hell, and the grave. Homecoming and harvest are God's promises to his people. God weeps with us so that we may someday rejoice with him because of Jesus death is not the end of life your past isn't the end of your life your transgression isn't the end of your life why because Jesus said because I live you're not hearing me today Jesus said, it has nothing to do with your past. It has nothing to do with your sin. It has nothing to do with your decisions of the past. He said, because I live, you shall live also. My, 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 my. Praise God. Jesus said, 
I am the resurrection and the life. They that believe in me shall never die. Jesus took the worst deed of history, being the cross and being crucified on it, and then turning it into the greatest victory. There will be an end to mourning. God will wipe the tears from our eyes. We will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. The image here is of harvest time. Sheaves are bundle of grain cut and gathered together. The joy in the harvest was a highlight of the year and a time of great blessing. Joy is essential to our life. It is the experience of knowing that we are loved and that nothing in this world can take that love away. And we often discover joy in the midst of sorrow. And it's during the most painful times of our lives that we become aware of a spiritual reality that's larger than ourselves. And it enables us to hope. Yeah, we've been look. We we went we went looking for the rain cloud. We've been there, Brother Murphy. But I see a cloud today. Size of a man's hand. Harvest and restoration is coming for somebody. And I would to God it's all of us. I would to God that it's all of us. Henry Nowen writes, "Quote: My grief was the place where I found my joy." We may undergo hardship and conflict, but God will have the last word because I'm in love with him. This means that we can rejoice even when our wishes are not realized. Joy is not an escape from sorrow. We foolishly think we can achieve joy by eliminating the things in life that hurt us. We're experts in constructing futile strategies for achieving joy. When we come to the end of our resources, we realize that joy is what God gives and not anything we can work up on our own. True joy enables us to face the realities of life because we do so with the assurance that God is working all things together. We must, we must believe his promise. We must believe his promise. Let me read the prophecy, one of the prophecies that was prophesied to Israel. And most of it now has already been fulfilled right before our very eyes. Joel chapter 2, verse 15. Lo, the trumpet in Zion. Lo, the trumpet. Sanctify a fast and call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priest minister. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? We prayed this for years here at Valley Church. Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. 
Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive them into a land barren and desolate and his face toward the east sea and his hinder part towards the utmost sea and his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. Notice. Fear not, O land. Be glad. Rejoice for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, but he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain, in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, with my great army which I have sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dwelt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. Notice what happens after restoration. Never seen it before in all my 30 years of ministry. Didn't see it until this past week. Thank you, Brennan. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed, and it shall come to pass after So once you're restored, Israel, so once your family is restored, once you are healed and you're back to a place in God you've never been before, after that, then I'll start pouring my spirit out everywhere. But you have to be restored first. If you'll stand with me today. There's people here today, I'm going to say this very fervently. I haven't quite given up on your marriage. There's people here today, I haven't given up on your kids. You may have, and sometimes you act like you have. I haven't. I'm not a hero, but I'm just putting a lot of faith in God. Everybody say this word with me, forgiven, 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 say it, forgiven, say it again, say it again like you mean it. Forgiven is a word that carries mind-boggling questions. We cannot fathom the total unconditional forgiveness that Jesus Christ extends to all of us. Listen, we all get second chances. 
You don't know what it's taken for me to stand behind this pulpit. I want to run around this building as fast as my old 56-year-old body will take me. We all get a second chance. Phil, the New Testament says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I've got a right to be here. And I've got a God-given right to rejoice. Whether you think I'm entitled to that or not doesn't matter. It's because He lives. You're not hearing me. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him because he lives. Many people overcome their past mistakes by God's grace and become what God purposed for them. God is not interested in what we once once were. He's interested in what we can become. Moses killed an Egyptian, but God gave him a second chance to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Paul was a zealous persecutor, but he got a second chance. God's forgiveness is amazing and mind-boggling, but true. Think about Jonah. He had an encounter with God, but chose to run. He had a future, but chose to deny it. He paid a dear price to resist God and do his own thing, spending three days and nights in the belly of a fish. But in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The second time. God gave Jonah a chance. He restored Jonah's commission, and he can restore all that was stolen in your life. There's seven areas, and get ready to come down to the front. This is going to Your coming is going to be very short, but 100% participation with an open mind and an open heart would be deeply appreciated. But there are seven areas that God promises to restore in the Word of God. Number one, God can restore your health. In Jeremiah 30 and verse 17, the Lord says He will restore health to you and heal your wounds. The same Jesus that healed thousands in the Bible still has the power to restore your health today. He has a power to restore your life. Ruth 14, 15 tells about the way God provided for Naomi's life to be restored after her husband and sons died. Saying, and he, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Number three, he can restore your joy. David's cry in Psalm 51 is that God will restore the joy of his salvation. God is praised in the Psalms as the restorer of joy. Number four, he can restore the wasted years. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. God restores the time that we spent living contrary to his will. Number five, 
your spiritual walk with God can be restored. In Galatians 6, describes that if someone is caught in sin, that the spiritual community is to restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. God can restore your past. Both you and your spiritual family will rebuild the breach and fill the places that were once used for rubbish. And finally, number seven, he can restore your damaged soul. The shepherd's psalm elegantly declares in Psalm 23, he restoreth my soul and my cup runneth over. We've all done things in our past that we're ashamed of. We've all disappointed God from time to time to such an extent that we question that he would ever love us again. But God is a God of unlimited second chances and he's willing and ready to restore you to former condition of health. Joel 33 verse 1, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, God goes on and promises things in verse 6, but I will bring it to health and cure, and I will cure them, and will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. He said, and I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return, and I will build them as at the first. And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me, and I will sin, pardon, and I will pardon their iniquities, whereby they have sinned and whereby they have transgressed against me. He goes on to say, in verse 11, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the voice of them that shall say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endures forever. And of them that shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause the return. I will cause it to happen. I will cause to return the captivity of the land as at the first. Whatever you have been in the past, you can go back to that place and then do better. God wants to speak here right now. God wants to speak right now. Let's wait on the voice of the Lord. Somebody let the Holy Ghost use you right now. I feel the gifts of the Spirit in operation. Don't linger. You know who you are. Do it. Just heard from the Lord. Just heard from God. Casey, would you play, sing, whatever you feel? I want to ask everybody to come up to the front. I want you to come open-hearted and open-minded to receive this promise from God.